It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. And good morning. This is Lauren Archer in for Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. Gary and Suzanne have the day off today, so I am delighted that they trusted me to host an exciting show for you today. And first of all, I want to say hi to Nathan in the studio. How are you doing over there, Nathan? Good morning, Lauren. Doing well. And I wish I could say it's an April Fool's thing going on here, but that was yesterday. So we got the real deal. We got the Lauren Archer here to guest host. Oh, gee, thanks. It's such a delight to be here. And you know, I've been a friend of the show and a frequent guest for 15 years now. But this is the first time I'm here representing a nonprofit organization that I've been working with for the last couple of days or last couple of years, sorry. (laughs) And I'm really excited to introduce the Manson Mitchell audience to our community. Uh, I'm representing Kinship Earth, and it's been such a joy to meet a community of people who care about the future of our children and grandchildren and who are committed to making this world a better place. So today is all about hope and wisdom from our elders and practical things that you can do to make a positive influence for a better future. I was introduced to our guest today through Susan Davis Mora. She's the founder of Kins Innovation Networks and is known as the godmother of social investing. And our guest today, Terry Molner, along with Susan and Hazel Henderson and a few other pioneers, were among the early people who dared to encourage business leaders to make choices that were good for all stakeholders, including planet Earth. So today, I'm really delighted to introduce you to Dr. Terry Molner. He is a well-respected elder within the sustainable, responsible investment community and an advisor on global trends. Back in the 1970s, Terry co-authored one of the first sets of screening criteria that enabled investors to evaluate companies based on their ESG, environmental, social, and governance practices. Terry's one of the founders of the Calvert Funds, which is the first and one of the largest families of socially responsible mutual funds with over $30 billion under their stewardship. He was a leader in developing Calvert's nonprofit foundation, which has raised nearly $3 billion to reduce poverty around the world. Now, most of you have heard of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the well-known socially responsible company. Well, what you may not know is that 22 years ago, Ben and Jerry's was under contract to be sold to a multinational corporation. And as a result, they would have lost their freedom to apply their socially responsible practices. Well, fortunately, our guest today, Dr. Terry Muller, stepped in and worked with the board to negotiate a contract that allowed Ben and Jerry's to maintain their autonomy under the umbrella of their new corporate owner. And so Ben and Jerry's was able to stay a socially responsible company, even though they were still sold to a big multinational. And Terry stayed on the board for many, many years to assure that safe transition. 
So this is the kind of guy he is. He's also the founder and chair of Stakeholders Capital, a company that understands that investing in responsible and responsive companies is just plain smart. He's founded a new organization called Trust for All Children, a program designed to eliminate child poverty. And today we're going to talk with Terry about some of his thinking. He is a prolific writer and a brilliant thinker, and his latest books are Common Good Capitalism is Inevitable, Common Good Nation, Our Mutual Blind Spot, and his newest book, Sensation of Oneness, Cooperation for Maturation, Not Competition, is the fundamental process in nature, and we can experience it as a sensation. So welcome, Terry. I'm so delighted to have you here today and to introduce you to the Manson Mitchell community and, and the worldwide community of listeners. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lauren. It's really a delight to be here, and it's a delight to be with you as always. Thank you. Well, you know, we've got so much to talk about today. You have so many great books with practical strategies to make the world a better place that most people can actually wrap their brains around. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your understanding? You've got a, a grid about the evolution, the maturation of the species. And when I look around at the world today, it's like, oh my gosh, we have, we are in a, a bit of a, of a pickle <laughs> and your ideas are so clear and sensible. So tell us a little bit about maturing as a species and how you look at where we are today. Well, wow. <clears throat> Before we get into that, let me just let everybody know that all those books you mentioned, they can all be read for free on our website, sensationofoneness.org. So you don't need to pay for them or buy them. You can go read them for free. I want them to be available to people all over the world, whether or not they have money or not. Um, secondly, I will get to talk about the next stage of maturity of capitalism later in the show, for sure. And I'll definitely get into talking about this, the, you know, the next stage of maturity for democracy. Both of these things are going to be the natural next stages in my judgment. And I think you'll agree with me after I walk you through some of these um, latest discoveries. Um, and I'm going to let me just start by pointing out three things that are new that most of your leaders, uh, re, uh, leader, <laughs> most of your listeners have probably not heard much about. Okay. The first thing is over the last two years, the most popular theory in fundamental physics has been the holographic theory. So I'm going to explain what that is. But it's based now based on the assumption, not from a spiritual point of view, from a physics point of view, that the universe operates as an indivisible whole. The second thing I want to point out is that we now know from a study of a tribe in the jungles of the Amazon in Brazil, the Prahaha tribe, that self-consciousness is a skill. It's not a maturation. I mean, it's not a mutation that happened hundreds of thousands of years ago, as has been thought up until just the last couple of years. The third thing so, I want to want to... Okay, wait, I want to real quick. Self-consciousness is a skill. That's right. So, okay. All right, go yeah. ahead. And I'll describe self-consciousness in a moment, okay. how it's different from consciousness. But the third thing that's brand new for all of us, or for most of us, I should say, is that there's another stage of maturity of free choice after exercising individual free choice. It's called mature, it's called mature free choice. Um, and so I'll go through and describe these three things, if it's okay with you, so that we really understand what, what all this new stuff is. 
Sounds good. Yeah, because not everybody understands this. You know, we, we use different words for different things. Right. And we and we some words are laced with all kinds of different meanings. And so one of the things, like I said, I really appreciate about your work is it's it's common sense. It makes sense. And it's things that we can actually wrap our brains around, even though you're a doctor of education and you're you've been doing this work for many, many years. Um, you speak in a language that I think average people can understand. So thank you. Well, what most people don't know about me is something happened when I was a sophomore in high school that made me commit, made a vow with myself to discover the meaning of life. So all those things that you said that I've done, they were always secondary for me. I was always giving priority to try to unravel this riddle because it was clear the universe wasn't operating in a very mature way. Yeah. Let me just quickly tell your viewers a story. In 1927, the major quantum physicists of the world met at Princeton University. And Albert Einstein argued that there's cause and effect in time. And Niels Bohr said, nope, at the microscopic level, that doesn't occur. Well, since for the last 95 years, up until two years ago, nobody could figure out how to mate those two opposite points of view. And that's what the holographic theory resolved. And what happened is that what people don't know is that most of all the technology we use is based on quantum mechanics. Now, quantum mechanics is based upon the assumption that Niels Bohr had that time and space are factors you should eliminate. So the, the main thing about quantum mechanics is that you eliminate the factors of time and space, which is in common language known as the assumption of separate parts. You just eliminate those factors. And now you only have probabilities. And that's what the new technologies are all based upon. But they didn't understand why it worked. <laughs> okay, I'm, you're starting to lose me already. So, um, so time and space uh, don't exist? Or what nope. are we saying? Nope. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. But the time and space is a mutually agreed upon illusion ah. that, we, that we created that allows us to be self-conscious. Okay, okay. So all that's been able to be unraveled here. But let me just tell you that what then happened is that scientists then began to say, well, let's just try an experiment. Let's assume that time and space aren't real. Because you see, there's only two ways the universe could be structured. Either it's one thing or it's two or more things, which is the assumption it's separate parts. Well, all of us have grown up on the assumption it's separate parts. Like I'm assuming you assume you're only your physical body. I assume I'm only my physical body. And everybody assumes that they're only their physical body. Well, that was necessary for us to operate on that assumption because that was the only way we could create words which allow us to be self-conscious. We had to operate on the assumption of separate parts. I have to have the word tree be different and separate from the word rock from the word river. In order to have them be separate and different, so you'll know when I'm talking about a tree and not a rock, I have to assume the universe is separate parts. Right, and, and so we all think we're separate, right? We all feel like we're totally separated from everything, yeah. That's right. So it's necessary to learn the first layers of maturity of the skill of self-consciousness by operating on that assumption. Nearly all of humanity up until now have, have been operating on that assumption. We now know it's not true. If we assume time and space is not real, then the only thing that's left by default is the universe operates as an indivisible whole. Now, here's the interesting thing. You and I and everybody listening here have been operating on the assumption the universe is an indivisible whole in one location our entire lives. It's inside our skin. 
So if you get a cut on your finger, all the you know all the parts in your body are cooperating to make sure all the blood doesn't run out that hole and have you die. So we know that our hearts and our lungs and our liver and our knees and our toes and our head and our hair, we know all these parts are cooperating for the health and maturation of our indivisible whole. Absolutely. But, like all of our cells are like, they're, they, they, I wonder if our cells think that they're independent, <laughs> but they're all part of one thing, right? It's, it's that uh, same. They, yeah. they definitely do not. Yeah. But let me guide your, your listeners now okay. into answering 10 questions, which we'll do quickly. All okay. right. And the reason that this is valuable is because it introduces your listeners to mature free choice. I so, love that concept, by the way, mature free choice. Yeah. And I know we're going to go into that more, but just think about that before Terry goes into these questions. Okay, let's go. I'm so excited. There's three, there's three levels of choice. Okay. When you're a child, mom says, do you want chocolate, vanilla, strawberry ice cream? And you choose one of them. You don't have the ability until you, we now know from neuroscience, you don't have the ability until you're in your early teenage years to distinguish between individual free choice and just free choice when somebody else makes up the multiple choice question. Yeah. And then when the teenager, I have a 16 year old daughter now, and boy, does she know about individual free choice now? Boy, that's the cats me out. She's all excited about that. I've introduced to the fact that, you know, there's going to be another stage of maturity of free choice after this. And she says, well, well what's that? Well, here's what it is. If you keep your power to choose inside your skin, in other words, you don't give it to any belief in words anywhere. It doesn't make any difference what the content of the words is. You just don't give it to a second thing. So you keep your power to choose inside your skin. And then you use it to repeatedly study your present experience to identify facts. It's the way you learned rocks are hard and fire is hot. Many times you touched a rock. Many times you got close to fire and you realize that there's a fact. Rocks are hard, fire is hot. You turn that into knowledge in your thinking and words. You then turn it into a skill and then it became a habit. So you could be sitting by a campfire talking to your friend on a hot, on a rock <laughs> next to the fire and talking about the football game last weekend because they're all habits. Well, I'm going to suggest that you use mature free choice to answer these 10 questions. Okay. And it, uh, you'll notice something. The answers to all of them are obvious. They're really obvious. But use mature free choice to answer them. Because then you won't ever be able to fool yourself that you did discover the fact mm. of the, to the questions, okay? Okay, and so hang on. So, so you're setting us up with some questions and you're saying, don't just jump to the answer. Take a moment and really think from a mature, free choice. Do I have the choice to say yes or no or whatever it is with these questions? Okay, okay. So, sorry to interrupt. But yeah. Thanks for repeating it. That's very yep. good. Yep. Okay. okay. All right. So here's the first question. And I'm going to go rather fast through the questions because we won't take a lot of time because we're on a radio show. So the first question is, have you been breathing since you came out of your mother's womb? Have so you if you take a look at breathing since you've breathing. come out of your mother's womb. Yep. You were breathing a minute ago. You're pretty obvious you were breathing since you came out of your mother's womb. Did you sit up and say, I think I'll choose to breathe when you came out of your mother's womb? <laughs> of course not. I, di I didn't. I didn't sit up and say, I think I'll choose to breathe. I didn't have that capacity. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So would you agree that you have been naturally and effortlessly breathing since you came out of your mother's womb? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, with the exception of those folks that had their breath for some reason taken away, but even that was not, it, it was not a choice. So you, the, the, the universe, I, I started breathing from the moment I was born without thinking about it. That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. So now let's find out who or what has been doing your breathing. Hmm. Okay. So if I was able to take your lungs out of your body and put them on a table over here, would you be able to breathe? 
I don't think so. <laughs> so your lungs need to be in your body and your body has to be healthy enough to breathe for you to breathe. Right. Okay. Now, if the air wasn't around you at all time, would you be able to breathe? No, definitely not. No. Okay. If the earth didn't have the atmosphere it has, if it had the atmosphere of Jupiter or Mars, would you be able to breathe? No. Ah, if the earth wasn't in its particular relationship with the rest of the universe that allows it to have that atmosphere, would you be able to breathe? No. Okay, here's the second to last question. If all of those parts were not always doing what they're always doing and always in full cooperation with you, with, with, with each other, would you be able to breathe? Your, no. Your, your lungs have to be in your body. Your body has to be healthy enough to breathe. The air has to be around you at all times. The earth has to have the atmosphere it is. The earth has to be in a particular relationship it is with the rest of the universe. All those things have to be always doing what they're always doing and in full cooperation with, with each other for you to be able to breathe. So true. Absolutely. It, it no, reminds I, me of like, I mean, Buckminster Fuller said something like that. It's like it, in order for the earth to be where we are, it's like we need to have the the universe and the, you know, all that had to be created and we didn't create it. So yeah, go ahead. Okay. So the last question of the 10 questions is this, would you now agree the universe operates as an indivisible whole and it is the universe that has been doing your breathing naturally and effortlessly all along? I certainly believe that, but wow, what a, what a perspective to boil it down to the basics. Yes. The reason I did this, if you use mature free choice where you've kept your power and you studied repeatedly your present experience, you can ask these 10 questions as often as you like. In fact, if people go to the website, sensationalwonders.org, there's a little video at the very homepage that you can walk through these 10 questions again. Every time you'll come up with the same answer, but now you know the fact so it's like knowing rocks are hard and fire is hot. You can't ever fool yourself into thinking you don't know that fact. Mm. So you now have the power of the fact the universe operates as an indivisible whole rather than buying a theory in words by a physicist or anybody else. I love it. I love it. And, you know, the, the notion of the universe acting as a whole changes our perspective on things. So in your opinion, how does that change anything in terms of how we relate as opposed to if we think we're separate versus if we have this understanding that we're part of a whole, what well, does that change? That takes us to the second new thing that I pointed out at the beginning. Okay. This, this is the result of a tribe in the jungles of, of Brazil <clears throat> that has not yet invent, invented time. The tribe is called the Brahaha tribe. And this wonderful man named uh, Daniel Everett spent 10 years there. And he, and he wrote a book, How Language Began. And what it, he's a linguistic scientist. And what he discovered was these people have not yet invented time. They have a word for hut and saucer and cup, but they don't have a word for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And yet they've lived for thousands of years and they have yet to invent time. And so he realized this revealed to him and the other modern linguistic scientists, oh, the skill of self-consciousness is a skill. And there's layers of maturity of this skill. So let me now lay out what the layers of maturity are that most people tend to agree on today. Okay. Uh, the last ones that some of us don't agree with others, but it's the first ones, everybody, you'll see the listeners will all recognize. Okay. As a baby, your priority is your sensations to find milk. Mm -hmm. As a toddler, your priority is recognized differences. Mommy, no mommy, banana, no banana. Okay. So you still have sensations, but you're now giving priority to differences. As mm -hmm. a child, you learn a language. 
And now the, the most important thing is to use your words, mom says, to get what you want rather than screaming and yelling. Mm -hmm. Then you can become a teenager where you discover you could exercise individual free choice, as we talked about before. Oh, now that's most important, as I was saying it is for my daughter. Mm -hmm. I'll have sensations. You still recognize differences. You're still human language. What's important that defines a layer of maturity is what you give priority to. Hmm. So you're now okay. at the the teenage stage, you're given prior to exercise individual free choice. If mom and dad don't respect that you now have the ability of exercising free choice, if they're still saying, hey, under this roof, you're going to do my rules, you're going to have a rebellious teenager and you're going to have trouble. Mm -hmm. The next stage of maturity is, well, when I got an individual free choice, look at these, are the rules with mom, these are the rules with dad, I figured dad out. Oh, my coach, I figured my coach out, you know, then you end up with a lot of rules that you made up. And then you say too many rules around here, I made them all up. I want to have one rule I can use to guide me in all things in my life. And that's the next layer, the adult layer, where you choose a worldview. Many people grow up within a religion that has a worldview. Other people grow up within a scientific community that has a worldview. Some people just have it, you know, I love the neighbors myself as my worldview. It doesn't make any difference what the content is again, but you end up giving priority to your belief system, whatever it is. Okay. So belief system is at that adult level and it, we may pick it up from the world around us. Um, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So now the thing I'm wanting to point out is what you just did by using mature free choice to answer the 10 questions and discover the universe operates as an indivisible whole. That's the great wake up that takes you into the next layer of maturity of the skill of self-conscious, which I call the elder layer. And that's when you get the universe operates as an indivisible whole. And once you get that, you realize I got to change all the words that I've got, every word in my thinking to recognize, rep represent this, because only then will I be in an alignment with the fact the universe operates as an indivisible whole. This is not a spiritual thing, although it can be a spiritual thing. It can be, you know, a scientific belief. It can be all kinds of things. But the point is, it's a fact. And I now need to honor that fact, which I can confirm at any moment by answering the 10 questions. And so this is the great wake up because all of humanity, whether we like it or not, they're going to mature into understanding this. And that's because maturation cannot be escaped or stopped. Mm. Any listener has had a child, you know, maturation cannot be escaped or stopped. The kids are going to just keep on growing up. Human beings are going to keep growing up. Yes. And, and where we are as a species, this is really important. I've heard um, from so many different teachers that uh, the biggest cause for a lot of our problems is believing that we're separate. And you look at all the, you know, the hmm, corruption and the violence. I've always thought if, if everybody understood that what we do comes back to us, right? Whatever we do comes back to us in one way, shape, or form, then people would stop making such uh, harmful decisions, harmful to the planet, harmful to other people. Uh, but it's hard to get that idea across in a way that doesn't um, bring up people's hackles around a religion or an ideology. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about your perspective here is it's not, you're not trying to make people believe anything. It's like, let's just look at the facts. No, what I'm really trying hard to do is to introduce people to mature free choice. Okay. Use those 10 questions to discover it's obvious. The universe operates as an indivisible whole. Mm 
Yeah. And, and this, this, what this means, though, competition is not the fundamental process in nature. We all grew up being taught that competition because that was operating on the assumption the universe is separate parts. Right. And all ones are competing with one. Now we know maturation for health and maturation is the fundamental process in nature. That's hugely different. And that's going to define everything we do in the future, because that's the next stage of maturity that we are all going to be maturing into. You know, yeah. there was a time when people on earth didn't have a human language. Today, everybody has a human language. There was a time on earth when not a lot of people understood the importance of exercising individual free choice. Now, most of the people on earth get that one, that teenage layer. Not everybody, but most of them get it. Then there's a lot of people who've now got into the adult layer where they realize I got to accept responsibility for myself. I got to sit down and think this through. In fact, the fun thing to do for all the listeners, whenever you're sitting with a group of friends, ask each of them to say in one sentence what their fundamental worldview is. Mm. You're going to discover most people can't do it. They haven't thought it through and said, what is my fundamental worldview that everything else builds on? And some people will be able to, but some people won't. It'll feel like a foreign territory. So many people, particularly in the United States, are giving priority to individual free choice. That's what we think is the top of the drawer. I mean, the top of the, the heap. Yeah, freedom but, built into our language and our constitution. Yeah. But freedom so, can mean different things. And, and understanding the difference of individual freedom versus mature freedom is what, what you're inviting people to step into. Let's have the courage to take a look at what's going on in the United States right now. Okay, I'm going to uh, let's I'm going to pause because we are coming up towards the bottom of the hour and this is like a juicy topic. So <laughs> in a moment we're going to do a quick break and then when we come back Terry's going to talk about mature free choice in context of what's happening in the United States right now and he's going to give us some ideas for hope and some practical ways that we can look at things as the maturation of our species, that this is inevitable, even though we're going through the growing pains right now of the teenage years, there is hope. So hang in there and we're gonna take a short break. Hi everybody, this is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty. 
yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Caroline Heldman, professor of politics specializing in systems of power, to talk about the crossroads the world is at now between democracy and autocracy. On Saturday, Joey Medea walks on the wild side with his research into legends of the werewolf in books, movies, and other lore. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. And this is Lauren Archer in for Gary Mann, Suzanne Mitchell on the Manson Mitchell Show. Back with my guest today, Dr. Terry Molner, And we are talking about mature free choice and where we are in the United States right now. So, Terry, where are we? And I, for one, am really enthusiastic to hear about your perspective that maturation is inevitable because it sure looks like we're in the middle of a teenage tantrum right now. So what's your perspective on this? No, it clearly does. The maturation into democracy is when we reach agreements that we all give priority to. That's what a democracy is. We're no longer following some person as a leader, a divine right of king or whatever. We're now reaching agreements and we're all giving priority to those agreements. Rock bottom for democracy is when people stop giving priority to the agreements and start giving priority to their polarized position. Mm. So we now have the Trumpsters on one side and we have the progressives on the other side. And we have a Congress where there's a lot of people fighting for power rather than honoring the agreements. Or trying to find agreement. Well, yeah. they're trying to change the agreements to have them be in favor of their end of the continuum. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What they're unaware of is they're still operating on the assumption of separate parts. And there's therefore the fundamental structure of separate parts, black, white, up, down, left, right. So they easily settle into opposites. Mm-hmm. So in this country, we have two parties. Europe's a little more mature than us because they have many parties. And then, then the many parties have to sit down and reach agreement on how they're going to govern the com- country by compromising among all the different parties that ended up with some control. But we have only two parties. And so when one party's in control, they have a tendency to want to get all the power to go to their direction. Mm-hmm. What they need to be doing is saying, hey, we got to remember, we have to give priority to the agreement to be a democracy which means that we honor the, 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 um, whoever gets the most votes in an election. But we have Donald Trump who has not done that. And I'm going to be bold, and some people on this uh, listening are going to be offended. Why would Donald Trump do something like that? Because that's a very immature thing to do, to not say, wait a minute, I lost the election. Okay, I've had 60 different court cases. I've lost every one of them. Okay, I yield. I accept it. No, he continues to say that he didn't lose the election, that it was stolen from him, even though out of 60 cases. So what my point is, Donald Trump is doing that. And this is what's important for your listeners to hear, because he's operating at a lower level of maturity of the skill of self-consciousness. We do not have as our primary program in our school system in the United States, that we have to help our children 
elder themselves and become eldered up each layer of maturity to achieve full maturity in the skill of self-consciousness. We don't even have that conversation going on. Now, I've, I want to say one more thing, Lauren, is I've known a lot of people with wealth. Some people with wealth just do nothing but give their children whatever they want called spoiling the child. Donald Trump is still operating at the child level of maturity. You know, he thinks that being president was his latest toy, and he treated it not as a sacred responsibility and foreign relationships with all the people all over the world to make this world a better place. He polarized himself with almost everybody, including Europe and NATO, and said, look, if you don't do what I want you to do, because that's what I you know, went president for, because, you know, my highest priority is my self-interest as a little boy, then I'm just going to be unhappy. And if you don't give me the election when I want the election, I'm not going to agree that, that I lost the election. So that is a typical behavior of a person stuck at the child level of maturity. And so I'm sorry if I offend some of the people who are listening, but that's my opinion of why we are having this horrible problem of getting locked into giving priority to the opposite of the continuum rather than to the agreements we have. Right, and I want to toss in here. So we're not saying that the opposite party is doing anything right. It's not about one versus another. It is about taking a look at how are we evolving as a culture to a level of maturity. So that was an example of a, of a, of a maturation process. And there are some on the left that are stuck in trying to claim power too. So we're not we're not picking sides here. Yeah. That's right. Well, but, but take a look at journalism. Let's just take a look at journalism. Journalism is stuck in the polarization. The way you sell commercials is talking about the extreme left, the extreme right. How often do they talk about the people in the middle? There's no story there. That's true. So they, they, they sustain this extreme right and extreme left because it sells commercials. You know, well, and it's an energy level, fanning the flames of, of this divide, the divisiveness. And what you talk a lot about in your books is agreement. In fact, your, one of your books really struck me, Common Good Nation, that we are at, we are evolving to a level where we can have nations, and I'm putting, like, I'm doing the finger quotes here, <laughs> nations, uh, communities of people who form that are beyond geography, that we don't have to be stuck in our geographical limits. We can form communities of agreement. So tell us some more about that as a, you know, in context with maturity here. Well, a lot of people think our democracy is the best thing that's ever happened. And it was the best thing, but it no longer is. Stop and think about it. Is it really best for 150 million people to go to the polls and choose between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump or Donald Trump and Joe Biden when nobody knows both of them? Yeah. That's a pretty silly idea. So now we're stuck having to decide which marketing spiel. <laughs> so it's true. That idea. It really, the other thing is, you know, the astronaut that just returned for space was just talking today on television about the fact that the Earth doesn't have any boundaries when he looks at it from space. Mm -hmm. Is it really is organizing nation states defined by geography really the best way to organize the planet? It ends up with a lot of people fighting over dirt, like what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now. Mm -hmm. So the next stage of maturity of democracy is a democracy defined by agreement rather than by geography. I live in a town of 1,800 people. When we have a town meeting in New England here, we have town meetings. When we have a town meeting, there's the people on the Trumpster side and there's the people on the progressive sides and there's all that. We have everything in our 1,800 people mm -hmm. <laughs> the same way as in the rest of the nation, okay? Now, 
what I would like to do is get together with the people who agree with me on my worldview and to have us become a community of friends and then sit down and say, no, yeah, we can exercise mature free choice now. Let's be a community of mature free choice people and we'll do whatever we can get from the government that'll help us out. But we're going to take full responsibility as a community for educating our children, for making sure they have enough money when they grow up, for doing all the things that we want to do for our community of people. And that's going to be our little community of our node. Then those communities can join in association with other like-thinking communities and then with others. So now you could have people all over the world in these agreement communities and in associations and associations of associations. There's no limit on the size. The couple of things that's important here, Bernie Sanders can start his Democratic Socialist community. The Tea Party can start their agreement community. Oprah Winfrey can start hers. The Catholics can start there. The Islam can start. Everybody can start their agreement nation. They're not in competition with the geographic nations. They'll all be very responsible members of the geographic nations. They'll just give priority to their agreement nation. And so now we'll have agreement nations of all kinds all over the world. They'll be able to easily say, let's get together. Oprah Winfrey and Bernie Sanders and whatever other communities. And let's find a way to use the efficiencies of scale to have a good health health plan. So there's lots of reasons they would join together to do agreement things. So the geographic nations eventually will become more like the utility districts. Like how many people actually know the name of their local utility district? Hmm. No, it's there. We know it's operating, but it gets very little attention because the news media can't find something to write a story about. So we just take it for granted. Eventually, my judgment is people are going to give priority to their agreement nation, which is based on mature free choice instead of individual free choice. They're going to stop giving their power away. So the libertarians are going to be very happy. Everybody's going to keep their power. But the progressives are going to be very happy as well. Because when you reach full maturity and the skill of human self-consciousness and realize the universe operates as an indivisible whole, that's the natural source of moral and loving behavior. Love it. Ah, now my priority is the common good of all because I'm a part of it. Well, and I think at the core, all of us really do want the common good of all. We have different ways that we perceive it. Um, and, and as we gather in communities and, and we have the ability to share agreements and to learn and to evolve together, which is one of the things that Kinship Earth is all about, is coming together in community and finding out what other people are doing and listening to new ideas and uh, co- connecting with the people that we want to you know, that we align with, that we want to work with, or we agree with. Um, As more small groups do that together, and then we're able to share our knowledge and our wisdom, then we're going to evolve as a species. If we stay totally siloed, um, then it's, it's not going to be as effective. So part of, to me, part of the maturation of the species is you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in my own little body here, right? And you feel like you're in your own body. We have the awareness now that we are operating, we are part of a universe that operates as one complete whole. But what my experience is, I'm feeding back into that whole. What your experience is, you're feeding back into that whole. And so the whole is being informed by all of our experience. And we're learning. Ideally, we learn from the things that don't work. And we learn from the things that do work and we're evolving as a species. So super excited wow. about this. Yeah, go ahead. Well, wanna... let's just talk about what's going to be the next stage of maturity for our free market economy. Okay. 
Let's do that. Because I'm giving these examples because this is all of these examples are the way that we will naturally mature into this because maturation can't be escaped or stopped. And so this is what is the natural next stage of maturity for capitalism. It can't be escaped or stopped, but I'm just going to pause it. But it can be resisted. <laughs> so people really want to resist oh, no. Oh, no. growing up and maturing. But no, anyway. as long as we're in, we're living in as long as as long as human beings until they're teenagers have to be operating on the assumption of separate parts. And, and as long as human beings don't grow up past the teenage stage, we're going to be stuck in all this fight about everything. Yeah. But stop and think about it. If we do a good job as parents of eldering our children and to understand all seven layers of maturity of the skill of self-consciousness before they're 20 years old and leave home, oh, wow, what if our school systems give priority to that? Oh, wow. Then we'll end up with a planet where most of the people leave home at the end of their teenage years knowing this the same way they all know a language, they all know representative differences, they all know these things. That's inevitable because maturation cannot be escaped or stopped. And it's so much more hopeful. I mean, you think about these kids getting out of school right now and entering a world where, oh my gosh, you know, this notion of scarcity and that we've all got to compete and, and it's every person for themselves. It's like, that's not a world I want to be part of. But the idea that we are part of a whole and that we can cooperate for the evolution of the whole, like that, that's much more, it's more inviting. It's a world that I want to be part of. So let's let's give an example of what I think is going to happen with capitalism. Right? Okay. Now recognize the listeners should know in 1970s when I was putting together a group of people to write one of the first set of social screens for investment, nobody thought we would be successful. I mean, really, everybody thought we were real idealistic dreamers. The partner that I'd started with this was the man, the elderly man who had been leading nonviolent action for the last many decades in the United States. And he introduced me to the idea. I mean, he introduced me, he said, Terry, wouldn't it be better if people invested only in companies that were making the world a better place rather than investing in companies that make it a worse place? And I said, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. so it's, good that, it's good that I hadn't gone to a business school yet because then I said, let's do it. <laughs> but if I'd gone to business school, I would have been told I was crazy and I couldn't do it. So we started and we brought the 17 people, I was 15 people together and we wrote the first set and then Wayne and I started the Calvert Funds in 1982. And today it's $37 billion under management. And it, but the, what's most important, it's gone mainstream. So now um, ESG is considered a mainstream movement in the investment community in the United States now, everywhere. Yes. And younger mm -hmm. people are saying, why would we not do that? Right. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Well, not only that, it was always seen as an alternative until two years ago when the Labor Department said, well, taking the community and the environment and uh, uh, what was the third one? Okay. And the employees into consideration when making financial decisions is part of what's appropriate in making the financials. It's no longer an alternative. Yeah. Sure. Well, with, I, I just got to say, women knew that for a long time. It's funny. I saw Rianne Eisler recently. She said, now, if you put children in school and say, um, okay, we're just going to be selfish and uh, it's okay to be selfish and everything will just work out okay. She's like, nobody would think that's a good idea. And she said, that's what we teach in economics. That's what we teach in business school. Wait a minute, that's wrong. So I'm so grateful that you have not only believed in this, but you've proven it through your funds, through your investments, through the social impact screening. You have proven that it is more valuable in the long run, but go ahead. So what's gonna happen? <laughs> what I'm trying to say to your listeners, what I'm gonna to describe to you is the next stage of maturity for capitalism, I believe is inevitable. Just like 50 years ago, I knew ESG would be inevitable. All yeah. right, the one thing corporations don't wanna to be told is what to do. They are very, very committed to keeping their power, et cetera. 
So the change most easily will happen by the corporations taking the lead to do it themselves. Now, why would they take the lead to do it themselves? Because it'll make financial sense and it'll make business sense to do it. So um, right now, for the last 40 years in particular, the highest priority on Wall Street has been mergers and acquisitions to become number one or number two in your product market. A lot of people don't know Lowell's Home Depot control 80 some percent of the lumber and hardware sales in the United States. Um, CVS and Walgreens controlled 90.3% of all the drugstores in the United States. I mean, you can go all the way down the line. There's duopolies everywhere. Why? We live in the information age. So I don't have to drive across the street, across the town to a place I never go to find out what my competitor's doing. All the information is available on the internet right now. Mm -hmm. So Home Depot and Lowell's, they know what each other are doing. So they're a duopoly monopoly. They can go look at each other's prices. They know exactly what each other's doing. It's all very visible. So the reason they've, they've, the Wall Street is mo- focused on becoming duopoly monopolies because they now, a monopoly is illegal, but a duopoly is legal. I mean, Facebook is a monopoly on its own. Google's a monopoly on its own virtually. So there are these monopolies. Well, they're playing right into our hands because it's going to be a lot easier to merge into common good capitalism. So what we want to do is to have Home Depot and and, uh, Lowell's get together in a room with a couple of people from the government present. They want to report to the public this was not collusion for self-interest. This was cooperation for the common good. And they'll reach agreement on what the minimum wage will be. They reach agreement on what their fundamental environmental policies will be. They reach agreement on how much money they're going to contribute to the local communities and to ending poverty. Whatever they want to reach agreement on, they'll reach agreement on, but mainly on the labor issues and environmental issues and these kinds of issues. All right. And then they'll get together and they'll reach, they'll decide what the date is when they'll begin these things, when they both can be sure that they do it. The auditors can then report whether or not they're keeping their agreements, and that can all be on the web for everybody to see. Mm -hmm. Now, why would they do this? It's called brand name. They want their brands to be loved. The first companies to do this will have their brands become loved. And that will make everybody else in the duopoly monopoly universe want to do it as well and recognize something. Because of the information age, 10 companies could do this, not just two. Mm -hmm. It'd be much easier with CVS and Walgreens and Lowell's and Home Depot. And so it's going to happen. So what's the other reason they'll do it? It doesn't cost them a penny. The public's going to love us. It's not going to cost me a penny. Relative to my competitors, it's not going to cost me a penny. Whoa, I like that part. My shareholders will still get their profits. My executives will still get their big salaries. All this will be wonderful. What's the dislike here? There's nothing to dislike here. Just like they eventually discovered there was nothing to dislike about social responsible investing. It was a good idea. And in fact, the people want it, especially the younger generations. So that means it's going to happen. It's going to be inevitable. I'll tell you, I sat down with uh, Paul Pullman when he was the CEO of Unilever, which owned Ben and Jerry's, you know, and I was introducing him at, at something in Boston and we sat down beforehand and I said, Paul, let Ben and Jerry's and Hagadas. At that point, we controlled eighty-seven percent of the super premium ice cream market. I said, "Let us agree to do this together." Mm, you know, he said it's a little early. What he, I didn't know that he knew is that he knew that there was going to be an offer to buy Unilever by this group, which the, most of the people here wouldn't know about. That he was going to have to deal with, uh, and so he would have had a big problem on Wall Street. 
but he was open to it. And now he's written a book. He's retired and he's now written a book, Net, Net Profit. And it's all about being socially responsible multinational corporations. I love it. He, because he got it. Yes. So it is a, a function of maturing. Um, a lot of us in the, you know, if you'd call it the movement of wanting to make the world a better place, there are so many different um, potential solutions to the problem. Uh, and we can drill down on, you know, this fix or that fix or this fix or that fix. But what you're talking about and what I think is essential here is the, is the global consciousness that we are one indivisible whole, that what we do is going to come back to us one way or another. And so we might as well be making our investments personally, professionally, in the common good and how we define that is is up to the individual but we're you know we're finding agreements and we're recognizing that we are all interconnected so i'm super excited about that we've got we've got some time left but i do want to just put a, a plug in here for people who are hearing this and want to dive deeper into your work they can find you at sensationofoneness.org is that right that's correct and that's where um, Terry has generously put all of his books or you know, many of his books available for free. So you can go uh, visit Dr. Terry Molnar at sensationofoneness.org. And if you're interested in these kinds of ideas, if you're somebody who is who feels like you're here for a reason and you want to be involved in the movement of thinkers and writers and doers and uh, people who are actively engaged in creating a regenerative, sustainable future, come visit us at kinshipearth.org and sign up for our email list. We have a live events coming up. We're launching a live event series uh, very soon, and there's opportunities for you to get involved and learn more and meet other amazing thinkers and uh, just big hearted uh, givers, people who have been involved in this movement for decades, like Dr. Terry Molnar. So, so in, in, as we wrap up, what haven't we covered that you feel is important? Well, stop and think how important this is for romance. For I mean, romance. That's right. Because people get together and they get married. And they have a tremendous problem these days having their marriages be consistently an enjoyable experience. But if they be mastered the full skill of self-consciousness, they will then know how to be with each other um, and in a loving place as the container of everything they do. Um, as opposed to, so, so is this a, a maturation process? So if you're coming from a teenage place in your relationship, you're going to be going, you know, I want, I want to have it my way. Now, we didn't have time on this show to, for me to describe the elder and the mature elder layer, which are the last two layers of maturity. Yeah. What's important to know there is there is the highest layer. It's just like riding the bicycle. Once you've learned to ride the bicycle, you don't have to think about it anymore. When you're driving around, pedaling around town, you're thinking about something else the whole time. And that's what you want to have in your marriage. You want your marriage to be such that you've mastered the skill. You look each other in the eyes and you know the experience of love. And you can go there anytime because it's a skill and you know how to be there. And then all the things that are happening is, are always secondary, always secondary. And the, the, key, the key element of this is prioritization. And I can't, don't have time to describe it now. But the assumption of separate parts is this or that in time. 
And that's the coat rack upon which you hang your words. When you discover oneness, you discover there's another coat rack. And it's called the oneness coat rack. And there is priority. To, you give priority to priorities. Why? Because the priorities can be in all time and all place. So you can learn how to have your priority to be in the skill of love. I mean, Lucy and I, each time we eat, we hold hands, look each other in the eyes and just enjoy the experience of love that we know as the container. And we do it a number of times during the day. Just look at each other in the eyes and know we know love is a skill. We got it. We got it. And so we're not worried about all the other disagreements that we have. That's so amazing. Even the notion that it's a skill. So it's something that you can learn, something that you can develop. Um, and, and you've got so many tools on your website at sensationofoneness.org, all free. And you've got a beautiful diagram of the levels of maturity. So, you know, for those of you like me, I'm visual. So you can hear it and get an idea, but go to sensationofoneness.org and look at how Terry has, uh, has laid out this beautiful visual of the levels of maturity. And I, for one, the, it just gives me so much hope about the direction of our species in this really critical time. Yeah, let me let the listeners know that we've made three videos that are being prepared now. They're not on the website now, but I gave three lectures in a class at the University, at the Eisenberg School of Business at the University of Massachusetts the last month. And so Tom, my video guy, is putting those together. They will eventually be up on the website for you so you can watch and get a more thorough experience of all this. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your wisdom. I'm um you are one of the people that gives me hope in our future in such an interesting, interesting time to be alive. Uh, lots of scariness out there, lots of darkness and discord, but there are people like you and, and you are one of thousands of people in our community that have been doing this work. So please visit us at kinshipearth.org. Check out Terry's site at sensationofoneness.org. And of course, stay tuned to the Manson Mitchell show. I want to say thank you to Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell for trusting me to host. Thank you, Nathan, our engineer. And thanks to all of you who have been listening. Uh, Terry, if there's one thing that you wish people knew, what would it be? The sensation of oneness is a skill you can learn. And it's something that you can actually feel as a sensation. That's I right. love that. I love it's that. Not, it's not primarily an idea. All it's right. It's primarily a sensation. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>